The conquest for the promised land is about to begin. Joshua, the new leader of Israel, has replaced Moses, and now he sends two spies to go out and scout out the land, especially the city Jericho. Joshua, as you remember, was one of the original 12 spies sent by Moses to scout out the promised land, and when the spies returned, Joshua was only one of two of the 12 who actually believed that they could take the land. So Joshua sends two spies, not 12. The two spies go to Jericho and hide in the house of a prostitute named Rahab. The text doesn't tell us why they choose Rahab's house. Strategically, it makes sense. We read in verse 15 that Rahab's house is on the outer side of the city wall, and it actually resides within the wall itself. Good hideout for a secret mission if they need to make a quick getaway. Or perhaps the spies assume that Rahab, with her particular profession, had information that could be helpful to the Israelites. Prostitutes, after all, meet powerful men. City officials, military leaders, maybe Rahab had a few secrets to share. Maybe the Israelite spies think that Rahab's house will be a discreet location. After all, Rahab is in a discretion, a discretionary business. Those who tend to frequent her house probably do not want to be seen or noticed when they do. In truth, we don't know why they choose Rahab's house. But I can't help but wonder and think about how the strategy argument worked when the spies got home and talked to their wives about their business trip. Imagine their wife saying, well, where did you stay again, sweetie? It was for our super secret mission, I swear. Of course, the king of Jericho is notified of their presence regardless, so if there was a strategy, it failed. Then the king of Jericho sends orders to Rahab, bring out the men who have come to you and entered your house, for they have come to scout out the land. And this is when Rahab does something completely unexpected. She takes the spies and she hides them. Then she deceives the king. True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from, and I do not know where they went. Hurry, if you pursue them quickly, you might catch them. She isn't just lying here, friends. These are two foreign spies, foreign invaders. Rahab is committing treason. It's a serious offense. During the Second World War, 16-year-old Helmuth Hubner was living in Nazi Germany when he started listening to his brother's forbidden shortwave radio. He would listen to the voice of a BBC announcer describing the true reality and the true state of the war, which was completely different from the propaganda he had been hearing from the Nazi regime and their promise of impending victory. Helmuth 
was also disturbed to find out how his country had been treating the Jewish people. And soon the teenager, the number of his friends, started making pamphlets countering the Nazi propaganda. They stuck pamphlets in coat pockets, phone booths, and pinned them to bulletin boards. These are German teenagers speaking out against their own government. Eventually, Helmuth was captured and brought to trial. And rather than argue for his relief, the boy instead confronts the Nazi judges about their regime and this war. And when a judge asks him, do you really think Germany will lose this war? Helmuth responds, don't you? And at the age of 17, Helmuth becomes the youngest person ever executed by the Third Reich. He died because he believed in truth and he was willing to share it. Rahab is willing to risk her life, commit treason, because she has come to believe in the truth. In the night before the men go to sleep, Rahab goes to the roof where they're hiding and she tells them, I know the Lord has given you the land. That dread has fallen upon us and all the inhabitants of the land melt in fear before you. For we have heard how the Lord has dried up the water of the Red Sea. And we we know what you did to the two kings and the Amorites that were beyond the Jordan, whom you utterly destroyed. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. And there was no courage left in any of us. The Lord your God is indeed the God of heaven above and the earth below. The grapevine has brought news of God's mighty activity to Jericho. Word has spread. How did an enslaved people group escape the mighty Pharaoh? How did a group of refugees cross the Red Sea? And how is it now possible that these people who have been lost wandering the wilderness for 40 years now have set their eyes on Jericho? The people of Jericho behind their fortified walls melt in fear. How is this possible? Rahab, the prostitute, knows how. Indeed, the Lord your God is God in heaven above and the earth below. Rahab has come to believe in Yahweh and she calls him by name. Rahab's confession is not about the strength of Israel's army. She is not talking about their mighty leader, Joshua. No. She says, God dried up the land before you. God has given you the land. God is on the move. She understands. It's not about Israel and the people. It's about God, and they are following God. So Rahab and the spies make a deal. 
If she helps them escape, then they will spare her and her family, her mother, her father, her brothers, and her sisters. We can almost certainly assume that Rahab and her family are poor. Poverty was by far the most common cause of prostitution in the ancient world as it is today. And the mention of her parents still living suggests that Rahab might actually be younger than you think. Remember, people didn't live very long in the ancient world. You could die from cutting your finger with an infection. The spies choose to trust Rahab. Another unexpected turn. You have two Jewish men making a deal with a young woman who is a foreigner and a prostitute. But in order for the deal to be upheld, Rahab must tie a crimson cord in her window, gather her family together, and stay within their home as Israel takes the city. The crimson cord points us back to the Passover events when the Israelites were in Egypt and they were instructed to mark their doorposts with the blood of a slaughtered lamb so that the Spirit of the Lord would pass over them, sparing their firstborn child. Rahab will be spared, but she has the responsibility to identify her home and to follow instructions. And in Joshua chapter 6, Jericho falls in miraculous fashion. After Israel marches around the city for seven days blowing trumpets, the Lord brings the wall down and the people capture the city. But as we read in chapter 6, verse 25, Rahab, the prostitute, with her family and all who belonged to her, Joshua spared them. Her family has lived in Israel ever since, for she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Like Ruth, whom Pastor John preached on last week, Rahab is actually also in the genealogy of Jesus. Rahab will go on with her parents and siblings to join the people of God as they inherit the land. She will get married and she will have a son named Boaz, the worthy man who marries Ruth, King David's great-great-great-great-great-grandma. Before Israel enters Jericho, once the wall has come down, they are given two instructions from God. Number one, they are to spare Rahab and her family. And number two, they are to stay away from the devoted things. The devoted things were items found in Jericho, perhaps cultic or idolatrous, and they were set aside for destruction. And as Joshua relays this message to the people, he warns them, keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking them. Otherwise, you will also make the camp of Israel liable for destruction. So if you take the devoted things, not only do you risk your life, but you risk the lives of others in this camp. This is a serious command 
God is giving. But a man named Achan does not believe. He takes some of the devoted things in Jericho and he hides them in his tent. The scripture tells us in chapter 7 verse 1, the Lord's anger burned against Israel for this. Because of the disbelief and the disobedience of one man. And the sin will cost Israel. They go on in their next battle at Ai, and they will lose the first time. 36 men will die, all because one man took the devoted things because of his disobedience. And when Achan's deception is discovered, when the devoted things are found in his tent, he, along with his entire family, is executed. As Rahab's faith saves her family, Achan's disbelief and disobedience destroys his. Achan was a man in a patriarchal society. Achan was from the tribe of Judah, the the most distinguished of all the Hebrew peoples. Achan had the right blood. Achan was from the right family. Achan had the right look. It doesn't matter. Unless you have faith and you are willing to follow God, Rahab was a Canaanite, a young woman living in a patriarchal society, and she was a prostitute. In the Old Testament, prostitution is the main metaphor God uses to describe the unfaithfulness of his people. Friends, this is not a favorable profession for Jews. Rahab seems to represent everything Israel is not. And yet she believes. As Achan is lost through unbelief and disobedience, Rahab joins the people of God through faith. It's clear that these stories of Rahab and Achan, which revolve around the story in Jericho, are placed at the beginning of Joshua for a purpose, to frame how we are to understand this conquest narrative in Joshua as the people of God retake the land. It means that being a part of God's people is not about ethnicity or race or nationality or gender or past profession. We enter into God's family by faith through the grace of God. In Exodus 12, we are told that a mixed multitude of people joined Israel as they fled Egypt. It wasn't just a people who were ethnically Hebrew. It was that they were trying to follow God no matter who or where they came from. A mixed multitude 
came with the people. Speaking of God's eternal future, the prophet Isaiah in chapter 25 says, God will make a feast for all people on his mountain. The boundary lines are not what we thought. What matters to God is faith. Friends, we must never overlook the faith of the outsider. The story of Rahab should push us to humble openness in hearing from those who are different from us. For as with Rahab, God speaks through and uses unlikely people. We must cast aside our judgment of one another. It's interesting, in the history of interpreting the story of Rahab, there have been attempts made by people suggesting that Rahab actually wasn't a prostitute. They say she must have been an innkeeper. That Hebrew word can't possibly mean prostitute. Well, the Hebrew word zona throughout the Old Testament is only ever translated as harlot or prostitute or whore or unfaithful. That's only what it is ever used. It is never used in reference to an innkeeper. Is the same word used for Gomer the prostitute, Hosea's wife. For some, the idea that Rahab, this woman who is honored in our scriptures, it makes them uncomfortable that she is a prostitute. Certainly it cannot be. John Calvin, when commenting on the story of Rahab in the 16th century, wrote, Why some try to avoid the name harlot, I see not. The fact that the woman who had gained a shameful livelihood by prostitution was shortly after admitted into the body of the chosen people. Calvin says this is a striking display of God's grace. The fact that she is a prostitute is perhaps the most important part of the story. And we cannot dismiss it. Because of her faith, Rahab is saved from not just destruction, but from a life of oppression and shame and sexism and despair. She will go on to leave that life behind and live a life of honor with the people of God. As an example of faith and obedience, As Hebrews chapter 11 says, by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. By faith, she acted. It doesn't matter what family you come from. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter how much is in your bank account. It doesn't matter what past sins you have done. And it doesn't matter what past great activities you've done for God. For God, what matters most is that you believe in Him. 
We are saved not by works, but by grace. And like Rahab, God wants to give you a new life. And it begins and it ends in faith. Friends, this table is a table of faith. This is where we come to experience the grace of God, to meet Jesus Christ at his table. This is not my table, it is not Pastor John's table. This is the table of Jesus. So I'd like to invite our communion servers to come